Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I'm your host, Annie F. Dowds. I'm really happy to be here with you today. We have got a great show in store. But before we dive in, I want to take a moment to share about one of our incredible partners. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Being a person on this planet can get tiring, can't it? No matter who you are, what your situation is, things can get challenging and life can really take its toll. It can be a lot, right? Well, we all need help from time to time handling what our lives throw our way. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. So go make some lemonade out of the lemons you've been handed. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and That Sounds Fun listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash thatsoundsfun. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash thatsoundsfun. Today on the show, I get to talk with my friend, Andy Andrew. Andy is the author of She is Free, Fake or Follower, and her newest book, which just came out in October, is called Friendship. It's complicated. She and her husband, Paul, founded Liberty Church in 2010, and in 2015, she launched She is Free, a movement that helps women encounter God and expand the kingdom. Currently, Andy's life is focused on raising her four kids in Brooklyn, New York, writing books, creating for her show and podcast called Coffee with Andy. It's so great, y'all building into her church, and traveling to invest in churches and lives all around the world. I wanted us to have this conversation right now before we get to Thanksgiving, because a lot of us may be going home. A lot of us may be seeing people we haven't seen in a long time or having opportunities to gather with friends that we have known for a long time or are newer. And friendship is complicated. Andy's thoughts on friendship have really helped me and challenged me in so many ways. And I think that you will feel the same. So I hope this is a really helpful episode before the holidays arrive. I can't wait for y'all to get to hear her perspective. So here's my conversation with Andy Andrew. Andy, welcome back to That Sounds Fun. Oh, it's so good to be with you. I'm just so happy to see you. It's very surprising how we don't run into each other as much as I would have thought we did. Well, literally, wasn't it in Pennsylvania? Yes, at the Summit Conference. Yes. At yeah, like four, yeah, four years ago, five years ago. Uh, 2017. Yeah. Okay, I, I love that you knew that. I do. How, let me tell you how? how I know that. Is the is which dude was in my life. Oh, <laughs> Okay. That's I, how I, I love, know. I like that. That's how Got I it. know. Cause I was like, I remember what I talked to Andy and Joe about and I remember who it was. So okay. um, that's really fun. It's one of the interesting things about our job because I don't know that people realize when all of our coworkers are at work, we're never in the same city. No, it's wild. No, never in the same city. And trying to remember for me, it's always like, gosh, did I, I think I preached that message there. Why do I not have a system for this? Like, do you not have a system for that? I am the worst. And so I know what. So then what I end up doing is asking my friends where I'm going. I'm like, hey, what's up? Do you do you remember what I did last time I was there? Girl, okay, <laughs> let me tell you my system is do you print out, do you teach on off of paper? They're all in my iPad. I used yeah. to do off of paper, paper and then I shifted. Yeah. And so are you in notability or what app are you in? I actually use Word like on my because oh, I can write on it. Yeah. So which is do you write on it in notability yeah, as well? Uh-huh. Oh, but yeah. so at the bottom of every, whenever I do a talk, whenever, you know, so like when a book comes out, what our friends listening should know, when a book comes out, 
the next 10 speaking events, they say, come talk about your book. And so we listen to the Holy Spirit and we make adjustments, but you kind of write a talk that you get to give a couple of times. That's true. So at the bottom of the talk, I will put the date and the church name. So then and when, when I'm going back, I search the church name and I go, man, I've been there three times and I told this joke two of the three times. Don't do it again. <laughs> so Don't do it again. Okay. So I need to probably start doing something like that. I don't I don't even know why. But you know, I just am like, Holy Spirit, I know you have something new to say. That's but it. also what let's not mess this up. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I so the fun part of this is a lot of our friends have been listening for a while and are fans of you. So they were with us when you were here a couple of years ago. And and so we send out this email on Friday. It's called the AFD Week in Review. And we, it gives people a chance to um, ask questions to the guests we have coming on the show. One of the questions that came in for you is someone who listened to our 2018 episode, episode 109. And she said, it sounds like a rough draft of Friendship, It's Complicated. She was like, because she's already finished the book. She's already read Friendship, It's Complicated. And she was like, I feel like Andy was already processing some of that. Is that true? How long have you been processing this idea of friendship between women? Yes, it has been. I think that's so wild. So I would say it's been about five years. And for me, a huge part of it was this major crash that I had about five years ago where I realized, wow, I am really horrible at this. And I am an adult and I don't understand why I can't do friendship well. And it was where I had this series of friends, like all of these friendships like burned to the ground. And my my best friend of 20 plus years, we broke up. Like, I kid you not, there was like a friendship breakup. We are, we are reconciled. And I can tell you right now that hasn't happened with everybody else. But I was like, gosh, God, what is my problem? And I felt like the Holy Spirit just said to me, hey, Andy, you are the common denominator in every relationship you're in. Wow. And so it was like this moment of ownership where I had to go back to move forward and figure out what some of the issues were and why I op- operated from this place, honestly, of codependency in relationships where I would carry stuff for other people. I would own stuff for other people, all of that sort of stuff. So that's like a very long answer to a short question. But yes, like two years ago, I was definitely processing it. And, uh, and I didn't really think I was going to write a book on friendship, but then when I just lent into this, I went, gosh, I think this could be super helpful for people. So yeah. Um, the actual worst breakup of my whole life was my best friend. Yes. They are not even on the same chart and I've had my heart broken by men and I've been, (laughs) and I've been the breaker. I mean, I'm not like. You know I've been a breaker like, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Guess what, everybody? Yeah. It wasn't just that. That sounds terrible. But you know what I mean? Like, I've had my heart yes. broken in romantic relationship, not even on the same scale as a friendship breakup. And nobody talks about it, Andy. You're the first person to write a book that even touches on this that I've ever seen. Because I, I know because I looked for it. Well, and you know, what's funny is I looked for this book too. And I think like, I just had to fight so hard for my friendships and relationships. And I would say I still am like, I would love to say as a 43 year old woman with four kids and one that's going to graduate as of next year, you know what I mean? I would love to say, you know what? Nailed it. I'm so great at this now, but I still have to overcome so much to step in, have good boundaries, have like genuine, honest conversations and some friendships that are totally unhealthy, all of those different things. But I looked for this book too. Yeah, I just because <laughs> I didn't know, no one had told me how to survive. I mean, everybody teaches you how to handle a breakup with a dude. No one tells you how to handle a breakup with a friend. And I'm in the same situation where we've reconciled and that does not always happen, but we're in each other's lives again. But I mean, it was, 
years of silence. I mean, actual years. And the worst pain I've experienced. And and the Lord really taught me what I carried in that and what I didn't. And it was, it was a, as with most painful things, it was a gift too. Will you talk to our friends who, I mean, I, I just would love to spend a few minutes on this because no one talks about it, about how do we hold and manage the shame we feel around a friendship breaking up? Because I, I felt shame. Did you feel shame? Yes, totally. Because there were people watching as well. And the yes. wild thing with my friend Tanya, which again, she is okay for me to give her name. She's in the book was that she never stopped going to our church. I mean, we pastor and lead a church at present in New York city and beyond, but like we live here in New York. And, um, what was kind of wild at that time is that she, we had this separation, but she didn't go anywhere. She didn't leave. People noticed it because they know how close we were. And it was embarrassing. And also at the same time, when you're in this point of leadership and people that were your friends, like leave the church, people are all watching me. They're watching me fail. They're watching me lead. They're watching me try to figure out what to do. And yeah, there was absolute shame in that. And the biggest thing that I could do, and I guess this is it is like, I kind of alluded to it already was just take ownership of my side of things. That's all we can do. And that's really all we can do. And I had to stop trying to be my own PR person and mind <laughs> what people thought about me. Say you know it. I mean? Say it. And, that's right. And just actually like do what was right in front of me and take care of my heart and try to reconcile and make peace where I could and where there was no reciprocity, let it be. And, and not try to explain it to everybody or cover my own butt. Even as I wrote this book, like I had to hold back Holy Spirit's like, don't you dare throw anybody under the bus, only yourself. <laughs> <laughs> right, you know right. I mean? When we look at this bus, the only person under it is Andy Andrew. It better be. Uh, and so I, I think I hard, have to do though. that, especially when I'm writing like this chapter about navigating betrayal. Like you can't, you can't like start making a list of all the people, which we all have, but it was just, it's radical ownership of one's life so that when you show up at the table in any relationship that you're in, you're as whole as you can possibly be. Talk to our friends who are in the middle. And I would say anybody in the middle is the person that doesn't have reconciliation because you don't know if it's done forever and you have no idea how the story goes if the person is still alive on this planet. And even then, we don't have time. I mean, we can't, but the theology of there, you will, eternity, for sure, for sure. But yeah. <laughs> so the people that are in the middle who have lost a very dear friend, but that person is not dead. So you're sharing a church. We were sharing a church. We were sharing a house. We were roommates oh and gosh. and stayed roommates for months and did not speak. Oh, I my mean, it, gosh. It, yeah. Talk to the people who are in the middle. What do you do? What do you do when you're in the middle and the person is still on your, you're still on Instagram. They're still in the neighborhood. They're still in your church. They're still your husband's sister or whatever, right? Like, what do you do? Yeah. Okay. Two things that I can think of and that I want to share is the first thing is like, like I said, the radical ownership. I mean, the whole first part of this book is about facing yourself. So it's, it's understanding the wounds that you are walking in that you need to have healed. And the second part is going to be reaching out for reconciliation and making peace if that is possible. So let me break that down a little bit. I, I would say about eight months ago, I had this major crash where I had to uh, really check myself into an intensive of counseling. It was phenomenal. So I want to just give this one little piece that was given to me to help people understand how to heal from wounding, because um, really what we operate from are these false belief systems that keep us isolated, that keep us, you know, when you create the whole picture, the whole story, what they must be thinking, what they, you know, you build this whole world that yeah. doesn't exist when yeah. you stay in your head for too long. If yeah, you don't right. deal the with the stories your, we yeah, write, the stories we write. So 
for me, it was this whole progression. So we all have wounding, but then in the middle of that wounding, we believe a lie. There's That's where the enemy loves to jump in, whisper a lie to us. Jesus is also there to tell us the truth, but there's the wounds, then there's the lies. But out of that lie, when you attach to it, a false belief system, you start operating from a false belief of, I, I don't know that women are trustworthy. I don't know that I want to yes. do this, that or the other thing. So from that false belief system, what do we do? We build a stronghold around ourselves. And that stronghold can be, you pick your method of self-protection, whether that is <laughs> anger, isolation, we all have got one, right? Yeah. And from behind our little strongholds, even though the Lord is supposed to be our strong tower, we start these vows where we're like, I will never trust another woman again. I'll never trust a man. I'll never trust the church. I'll never, never, never. And then from there, we operate from a false self and present to the world what we think that they should see. So to have ownership in your own heart, you have to kind of go back, sit before God and go, okay, that wounding in that relationship, that friendship, what what lie am I believing? And God, give me the truth. And what's the false belief that I've been operating from? Can you give me a true belief system to operate from? What have I been protecting myself with? And repent, go, I repent of using anger, of isolation. And what vows have I said? Renounce the vows. Like I renounce the vow that I can never have another good friendship again. And then you'll find that you'll start operating from this place of who you truly are. And then I would say, so there's that heart part, like taking care of yourself, but then being intentional. And listen, I think the hardest part about some friendships is that open loop that may never close. So I would say in as much power as it's up to you, reach out, text them, reach. I I just talked to somebody even this week that said they knew that a friendship was kind of like degradating. They knew it was like falling apart and they reached out and they were ghosted. That person never reached out back. And I think there's going to be two sides to it. One is that maybe you're going to be able to make peace. It doesn't mean that you're going to reconcile and be best friends. But as much as it's up to you, make peace with all men and women, of course, Um, (laughs) but have a conversation if you can and touch base on things if if there's reciprocity and then decide where the relationship is going to go from there or not. And then the other side is, gosh, sometimes you just have to let go and forgive and reconcile before God, but you're never going to be able to reconcile with that person. So there's a tension in it all, but those are just the things that I keep doing. So I hope that helps. I have another friendship that ended. I, I mean, we all have lots of friendships that ended. But well, the last couple of years too. I mean, yeah, a lot certainly. has changed. Hello. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and I made some mistakes. I made a lot of mistakes in the friendship. And as I was trying to repair it, I was doing what you're saying. I was calling. I was texting. And finally, uh, and I think I would love for you to speak to this as a pastor. Finally, a pastor who pastored both me and the other woman texted me and said, I think you've done everything you can do. You need to, st- you can stop you can stop. And so what that said to me is my friend was communicating with the pastor saying, this is too much for me, or I don't have that to give, which is fine. Which is fine. And, but I live in the constant tension of, as far as I can see, that one is not going to fix. And so pastor us a little bit about that, about what do you do when there's one that you could run into them at the grocery store and you've tried or they've tried, and it's just not going to fix. Yeah, I think those are some of the hardest things. And when you realize, so I love that you even brought up the fact of ownership where you're like, look, I own some of the stuff. Oh yeah, my- that one was on me. Yeah. And, and honestly, sometimes that's all you can do, but if it hurts too much for the other person, because maybe there was stuff that you owned in that and you went, gosh, I hurt you in this and I'm so sorry. But if it does become too much for the other person and they're not ready to jump back in, then you, you do have to let them go and let them heal and trust that God will do that while you walk on your own healing journey. That's one of the biggest things that I learned too, is that ownership factor is like allowing 
because uh, there's two sides to that too. I've been in relationships where I have owned stuff, but the other person has also let me own their stuff for them too. Like, you know what I mean? You go ahead and carry that for me as well. And I'm like, no, like I can't. Right. And I think you're like, my like, sin even, is plenty for me. <laughs> there's a lot over here yeah. that I'm trying to work my out. My quiver <laughs> is full. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so I even had to get to a place where I went, their issues are not my issues. They're not for me to fix. They're not for me to carry. And I think that is a place where you have to go and you have to surrender that. And that's difficult. Um, but that's also a boundaries thing. If you do have people in your world that are, you know, boundaries, we talk about this all the time. We've read Red Cloud and Townsend. Yeah. We, but, you know, but the more you dive into it, the more you realize, gosh, even in friendship and any relationship, you've got to keep your yard clean and tidy, your boundaries up. But if someone keeps knocking over your fence and going, carry this for me, you take care of my mess. You go, no, I, I really can't. And vice versa. If you're doing that to other people, stop it. Like, <laughs> yeah. How do we help? I'm thinking about our friends that are listening that they're in the seat like my pastor friend was. Are there in the seat like you and I have both been in where two of our friends are not getting along? Girl, listen, Andy, with as much as I talk and as long as I've been a person, I've had every kind of friendship fall apart that you can dream of, right? Yeah. And I've yeah. had a lot of ones work well and recover beautifully from it. But I've been in situations where two of my good friends are not getting along. Yeah. And even I'm thinking about our friends who are raising teenagers who have yeah. teenage girls in their house that are not getting along with their <laughs> friends. How, how do we help lead people in those moments when, when we're not the one in the, in the tension, but two people we love are, how do you not be a gossip? How do you not be stuck in the middle? How do we do this? Well, well, I think that definitely comes back down to like helping people understand Matthew 18. It's like, Hey, I'm not going to be your go between. Cause if you do that, if you end up becoming the codependent person for both of them, like you are going to get walked all over and they will never talk to each other. And you have to go, I just need you to know, I am friends with so-and-so and I'm friends with, so like you both know that I'm friends with both of you, but I refuse to be the go-between and I won't talk about your relationship unless you're willing to talk about it with them. And so I think that that is, that's a difficult place, but it does become gossip because we're like, I just need someone to bounce this off of. I'm like, do you though? Yeah. Like, I don't oh, know. Andy, <laughs> one of the most convicting sentences anyone ever says to me is after they listen to whatever paragraph I have to say, for it to then say, yeah. I mean, I, it feels like you should probably just go say that to her. Yeah. And then yeah. I just, my stomach hurts immediately. My stomach hurts immediately. You're like, yeah, I know you're right. But gosh, but God, <laughs> I was trying to tell you so that you can yeah. tell me I'm right. And she's wrong. Yeah. And I, I just think we have lost the art of that a little bit. Like I, over the last 10 years with, and you don't want to blame social media for everything, but it and text messages, like, honestly, it's, it's kind of this weird reality that we put ourselves in. And so we have to work even harder for real life, in-person, face-to-face relationships. Like it's just a reality that if we really want healthy relationships, there has to be a little bit more give. And so I think that is one of the healthiest things you can do is refuse to be the go-between. And that also may, I know that that's like a difficult situation to be in because that could break down your relationship with one or both of those people too. Hey friends, just interrupting this conversation real quick to share about another one of our incredible partners, Raycon. It's the little things that can make a big difference in our lives, right? I mean, a kind word from a friend at the right time, a smile from a neighbor as you pass by each other, a hot cup of coffee or tea in the morning. 
Well, a little thing that makes a big difference in my day every day, technically, I guess it's two little things, are my Raycon earbuds. Raycon, which is co-founded by Ray J, provides innovative earbud designs at prices that work with our budgets, not against them. Like, Raycon start at half the price of other premium audio brands, but they sound just as good. They offer their wireless earbuds in so many fun colors and patterns, and they're super comfortable with a variety of fit options. Most other wireless options don't even have that. Raycon earbuds come with a bunch of gel tips in different sizes that they've recently optimized so you can get the most comfortable fit possible. And they are both stylish and discreet. No sticking out of your ears, no dangling wires or stems. Raycon has got some really cool new features with their earbuds. These three new sound profiles that help you have the best experience depending on what you're listening to. So it's pure mode for listening to podcasts or blues or instrumentals balanced mode for my rock enthusiasts out there. We know who you are. And bass mode when it's a hip-hop or EDM kind of day, which I respect. There's also an all-new awareness mode for when you need to listen to your surroundings instead, which is super important for staying safe, and I absolutely love that. Raycons offer eight hours of playtime and a 32-hour battery life. I can promise y'all that the battery lasts forever because I keep not being able to find my charger because it's so long in between when I need to charge my headphones. And with a built-in mic, you can take calls with the press of a button. And they care so much about you loving the earbuds that they have a 45-day free return policy. It's never too early to start gift shopping for the holidays, and Raycon wireless earbuds make a great gift. In fact, Ashley, who works here with me, y'all know her, staff boss, she was having trouble with some other earbuds, feeling uncomfortable and hurting her tiny little ears. So her husband gifted her some new Raycon earbuds, and she has them with her all the time. So go to buyraycon.com slash that sounds fun to get 15% off your order. Again, that's B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N.com slash that sounds fun for 15% off. And now back to our conversation with Andy. A couple of weeks ago, I post, I said something ridiculous on Insta story. And then we made, someone made us a graphic where I said, all it takes is a village and a ring light to be who you want to be. Oh. And <laughs> I think it's very true. Oh, I still stand by it. Right. All I need is a villi- my village and a ring light. And I'm exactly who I want to be. Um, but do you know, one of the, one of the pieces of feedback I got is someone said, I just wish I had a village. Talk to our friends who, if we said, man, it's hard to be in a fight with my friends. They're saying to us back from the grocery store or from the car or from the treadmill, I wish I had a friend to fight with. I don't even have a friend. I think what has happened over the last couple of years has been the solidification of isolation and self-preservation. And that is one of the biggest things that we have to fight right now. I know people that are extroverts that now have social anxiety, which is weird, right? And so I think what we have to do is go back to what, what is it? Was it Joyce Meyer that coined it? Like do it afraid, you know, like, like, but I think that that is kind of the reality that we're at right now is you're going to have to break down a barrier and you're going to have to do something that even freaks you out. Whether that is, if you're a part of a church community, joining a discipleship group, a community group, and you're like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to show up. I don't want to be this consistent because that means that I'm saying yes to showing up at something every week. But honestly, that's that's the only way things are going to change is if you do something different than what you're doing. Um, Maria Durso, his, who is one of my mentors, oh. I know, and mothers in the faith and just is like, she calls me once a week, you know, or texts me with, she's like, Andy, oh my gosh, the Lord, he's been speaking to me about you. I and about I say just, Maria Durso bringing a, being your mentor is like jackpot level. 
Honestly, and she just came into my life at a time where I needed that. I needed a a mentor and a spiritual mother, and she's just been phenomenal. But she's this woman, I mean, her story is wild. And she could honestly not, not have good relationships with women. She was, her mother died at birth. Her father became an alcoholic, sent her to a nunnery to be raised in Yonkers. She was sexually abused by the nuns and given wine from a young age. Even when she got saved as a heroin addict at 19, there was no women in the church at that time that wanted anything to do with her. She became a pastor, had no friends, but this woman goes first. This woman calls all the other women. This woman creates spaces for other women. This woman makes friends and she could have every excuse to say, I'm too wounded. I have too much pain with women. I just wish I had a friend, but she makes the friends. And I think that's the power of going first, that we're going to have to break the barrier and step out and do something that's maybe uncomfortable and be that mentor or that friend to somebody else, even if you wish someone else would do it for you. And you'll find that then it just, you start to attract like. Our friend Mike Donahue was just on the show. People just heard him on Friday before they're hearing you on Monday. And one of the things he talked about is that like, if you are longing for something, reach out and give it to someone else. And that is the way to do it. So, so I'm thinking, I'm, I'm just playing this. Whole, I'm like, Andy, teach us everything. Just keep teaching us everything. You're so wise. So our friends who say, yeah, Andy, I went to church and I was in the women's Bible study and nobody called me. I texted this girl I met in tennis and said, let's get coffee. And she ghosted me and never responded. How do we have the guts to go again? And how long, how long do we give up? When do we give up on trying to make friends? You know what? Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's not someone in church. You know, (laughs) I think that's the thing too, is sometimes be willing to look in other spaces than where you think the normal would be. Some of my sweetest, most beautiful friends I've met on the schoolyard, picking up our kids and then just hanging out together in the park while our kids play soccer or basketball. And I think that we have to just pay attention to that too. But yeah, we're going to get hurt. What is it? Michael Scott? Yeah. You better, you better believe it. Like (laughs) I, I quote Michael Scott in the book where he's like, I'm willing, I'm ready to be hurt again. (laughs) But I think that that's kind of the point of relationship is no matter what, you are going to get hurt again. You are going to get ghosted again. But I think that the pain of messy, godly connect, like the pain of isolation is greater than the pain that will come with messy, godly connection with other people. And so we've got to, we've got to weigh up the pain factor because yeah. So I think that you just got to keep trying again and then also know when to stop. (laughs) <laughs> with some, with certain people yeah, too. Yeah, let, let them go. Yeah. I I mean, every time I'm buying new thread for cross-stitching, I talk to anybody else who's in the section. I love you so much. Right? And now I understand yes. I'm very outgoing as part of in my body, but, but also the other people standing there usually aren't. They, you know, the cross-stitching community is not full of extroverts as no. my experience. <laughs> but what I think every time I'm standing there, I'm like, we've got one thing in common because we're both buying the same thread. So I want to know what pattern you're making. And I want to know, you know, and so to me, there are times like that, that I overlook as genuine connection opportunities. Absolutely. And I think sometimes we, we don't necessarily even see the friends that are already in our world that we are maybe neglecting or not looking at or relationships that we could cultivate. I mean, I know this sounds funny to say, but one of my favorite chapters that I learned so much was circles. 
the, the chapter eight, where it's like, no, everyone cannot and should not be our best friend. But as we look to Jesus, I think that was so helpful for me to realize he had his three, he had his 12, he had the 72, the three were that intimate close circle where he was vulnerable with them. And I, I love my friend, Irene Rollins says, be authentic with the many, but vulnerable with the few, like vulnerability is that choice to let your guard down and show people the reality of your fears, your hopes, like all those things that you could get wounded with because of, of them. Authenticity is just showing up and being who you really are. But like, I think Jesus had those people. He had the three, he had the 12 that he was on mission with. He had the 72 that he sent out. He had the multitudes that he was around. And I think us paying attention to maybe, gosh, maybe there are some relationships around me that I'm neglecting. Maybe there's people I'm ghosting. Maybe there's people that have reached out to me and I didn't reach back out. And so I think being aware of that too, um, because it actually, I realized part of my tendency can be that I can get into this victim spiral. Uh, and I know you're a, you're a seven, right? Yeah, of on course. The I'm, I'm a four on the Enneagram, oh, which means <laughs> I just, I think about myself a little too much sometimes. But you listen, know? seven and fours <laughs> love each other because we have all the feelings. We just, as listen, we, grew up, we, the road diverged in the woods of how we dealt with our feelings, yes. but we've And that's why people, people think I'm a seven too. And yeah. I'm like, I don't know, maybe I seven hard sometimes. Yeah, no, you, but you know what I mean? So I think that what I realized is, you know, I can get so introspective and the Lord's like, just look up, dear God, there are people around you that like want to be your friend can, could be a great friend if you could invest in that. Yeah, the circles thing is really interesting to me because I'm going to drop some segments of people. Kind of tell us what wisdom would say about what, where they circle up with us. Like, because I'm thinking if you meet, if the one thing you have in common is cross-stitching or the one thing you have in common is the same elementary school or the one thing you have in common is the same church. Well, what if it's a non-believer? What if it's someone who doesn't believe everything you believe about God or the Bible or prayer? Or what if it's someone who is different than you politically? And, and, and right, or different than you and what you believe about racial reconciliation or different than you about, for me, I'm a Georgia fan, Florida. I don't like, I don't like the university of Florida. How do yeah. I, how do I, what circle do Florida people fit? And no, I'm just kidding. Okay. But, no, you know, that makes sense. So talk through how we wisely put, particularly with big disagreements like politics or non people who do not believe what we believe. Well, I think it's um, actually important that we do have diversity in the people in our circles too. And I did this whole, I actually put together, I don't know if you got to see it, but I yes. put together this, this graph for people in this, and I'm like, fill it out in pencil. It's really important yes. in the book. For people, once you get the book, it is page 158. Yeah. And I think it's really important because what you realize is, yes, there's a simplicity with how Jesus had his circles, but we live in a in a little bit more of an interesting, not interesting, sorry, Jesus. Um, but we live in a different, <laughs> sorry, Jesus. It's a little better now. I mean, there is air conditioning and Oreos. Listen, two things was, that Jesus did not know about in his early that's life. That's true. <laughs> but what I realized too, for me, like our circles are all going to look a little bit different. And for me, I mean, I live in New York City. So no, there are not a ton of people that are like, I love Jesus. I have friends, a lot of friends that are unbelievers that are in my immediate spheres that I'm in. And so I put at that center circle, it was God, my spouse, and my children, because they're the people I'm around all the time. But then out of that, yes, there's your three, your 12, and um, the 72, which really I call the community of believers, because depending on the size of church that you're in, that's usually the people that you're on mission with. But the tw I would say even in the 12, look at how wild the 12 were for Jesus. Right. There was... I mean, you had Simon the Zealot. I'm like, he was probably the one that was marching in all of the rallies and making things uncomfortable. You had Th Thomas that did 
didn't believe anything and was probably deconstructing his faith and like telling Jesus, you know, prove it. You've got like Peter who was ruining everything all the time and cutting off ears. You got like, and Matthew who was like a traitor and a rule follower. (laughs) And he and Peter could not have been on farther different spectrums. Yeah. So why do we think right now, even in the church, even with the people that we're in a, maybe a discipleship circle, why do we think we're all going to land on the same thing? The common denominator is Jesus. And so we, we have got to pay attention to that. And so I think we've got to look at that because even with your family, so I even put a circle on here, trusted family, because some of your family is not trusted. So you may love them and show up at Thanksgiving with them, but you don't trust them with your heart, but there are some that you will. And then there's neighborhood people and legacy people. I call them legacy people because they're the people where you may be like my best friend that I grew up with in Spokane, Washington. I see her once every 10, 15 years. And the moment we sit down, it just is what it is. And it's beautiful. And so I think it's paying attention to that, that we actually, as believers, If we're going to live like Jesus, we need to leave room for people that drive us crazy, where there is drama, where we have to face it, where we have to look at our own hearts and go, what do I believe? And it's important that there is diversity in those circles, but knowing the difference of what you need in each one um, is really important. It's probably been 10 or 11 years ago now. Someone here in town, a girlfriend of mine said, who are your best friends? And I was like, well, I mean, you, you're like one of my very best friends. And she said, I don't think your best friends would ever know that they matter more to you than anybody else. And it was really convicting. And so in my phone, much like your chart in my phone under favorites, I literally have, okay, these are, these are the, my up close circle. These are the most trusted non Job friend friends. (laughs) And yeah, and so that for me, that's one rhythm I have or one practice I have that uh, that has helped me to know who gets all the stories and who doesn't. I love that. That's the same for me. Isn't that interesting? My favorites are the people that exactly, exactly the same that are my go-to people in my vulnerable, trusted circle. So if you and I are doing that, I mean, there's moments where I feel like I'm going to hurt somebody's feelings if I take them off my favorites list. They're never going to know. <laughs> they don't know. But why do we feel that? Why do we feel that pressure that everyone needs to be our best friend and everyone needs to know everything or nobody gets to know anything? So for me, chapter one is called The Woman Wound. Yes. And I, I go there and I talk about my relationship with my mom and she allows me to go there because whether we know it or not, our relationship with our mother affected us um, or their lack thereof. And so I think for me, what I realized from a young age is I learned codependency from my mom. And that was because of of the pain she was walking through. I kind of became her therapist. I became her counselor. I became her emotional mother. And from a young age, I was learning things about her life and carrying them um, from a young age that I never should have. Honestly, I shouldn't have known these things, carried them. Fast forward into adulthood. That's where the problem came for me is that everyone could be my best friend, should be my best friend. I was like, yes, you need me. Yes. Let me carry that. Oh, you need to talk. Yes. Oh, I'm available. Oh, I'm a pastor now. So everyone, everyone so now must I'm have extra available. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm extra available. <laughs> but then the, but then it's Jesus who literally rebuked me just through the scripture and the gospels. As I watched him, I went, 
oh gosh, he must have offended the 12, the rest of the, the rest of the, the nine that didn't get to be his three when he went right. up. Like, think about that. Yes. Like that probably hurt Thomas's feelings that he wasn't Peter, John or James. <laughs> that's why he's like, you didn't really die and rise again. <laughs> yeah. Show me. Yeah, that's right. He's like, because a couple of months ago, you didn't invite me to dinner. And so, yeah, you didn't invite me when you raised Jairus's daughter from the dead. I thought I had enough faith to be in that room. Right. And I think it's wow, like those Andy. things that, that we looked at. And that's where I stopped apologizing. And I went, I am going to hurt people's feelings. And I hate hurting people. Like I hate it more than anything. That's one of my, but that ends up being that whole fear of man thing. I'm more afraid of what you say than being obedient to what God is asking me to do, to do, or like letting you, letting everyone just have all of me. I'm like, it's just, it's not everybody's business. My life, the whole part of my whole life, you know? So I think we just have to get good at knowing that, yes, we probably will hurt people, but then we also have to speak our, like speak our expectations, right? So there's a huge part of that where it's like unspoken expectations or where we have like people have these needs from us, they're unmet needs and they want us to meet those needs. It's like, hey, you kind of alluded to this a little earlier with your friend that you just haven't been able to reconcile with maybe yet, or I don't know where that will go for you, but um, how they just weren't willing maybe to give those things. And I have had to get better at going, Hey, I've got four kids and a husband and a few friends that are really close to me. I love that you want to have coffee once a month, but I just need you to know I'm not able. And I'm actually not willing to do that because I'm only one person. And even though that may hurt somebody, I would rather be upfront about that. Does that make sense? And so yes. I think we just have to get better at that too. Or maybe even I've had conversations where I was like, maybe I misunderstood your expectations. Could you maybe share those with me? And those are some of the conversations that I've had with people where I went, wow, I hurt you. Please forgive me for hurting you. What were your expectations? Because I think I misread that totally. So I've had to do that even just recently with a really good friend. Yeah. It is so hard to go first. But you write about it in the book. You talk about it with Maria Durzo. I mean, it is so hard to go first. And yet someone needs to. I wish my coworker Ashley was in here. She has a great sentence about expectations where the expectations are only legitimate if they've been communicated. Yes. Like other than that, they you're just setting yourself up for disappointment because you haven't communicated. Hey, I, I thought we were going to eat dinner every other week. <laughs> yes. I thought we were going to, you know, and then you go, well, no wonder your feelings are getting hurt. I thought we were eating dinner once a month. So I'm, I'm showing up half as much as you thought I was going to show up because we had different expectations. Yes, exactly. Something I learned at onsite, like an intensive counseling thing, like you went to, at Onsite, I learned, they said, the only people who don't like your boundaries are the people who like to cross them. Yep. Yes. Right. <laughs> and so there are people who who expect us to show up and be who, and, and, and we can't, and they're disappointed or hurt or angry because they wanted to be on the other side of a boundary that we just can't provide. Yeah. I can't provide that for you. I can't give that time to you. And I'm so sorry. Uh, but I think it's honestly the healthiest thing we can do. And our mental health will suffer if we if we don't get good. Our mental, emotional, spiritual health, it all suffers if we continually allow ourselves to be walked on and think that we can be everybody's best friend and be there for everyone. So we just have to get better at it. Um, I feel like there's so much conversation about the father wound because Jesus called God his father. And, and we are all made in the image of God. So he is mother and father. But the fathering heart of God seems to be brought up a lot more than his mothering characteristics. And yet 
no one talks about like, except again, I needed a breakup book. You gave me a breakup book. I needed a mothering <laughs> wound, heart of God conversation. And you're offering that too. So talk about why no one talks about that. Why has, why don't people talk about that as much? And, and how does it serve us to really think about that for ourselves? Do you know what's interesting is I don't know why people don't talk about that. I think for me, what I realized uh, just in myself, again, maybe it's my foreness because I was like deep inside my own thoughts, Um, (laughs) but uh, was really that five years ago that I was talking about when everything fell apart, I realized, wow, this has to do with issues with my mother and the way that I view other women in my life, the way that I view women as trustworthy or not. And so I just had to go there with my mom. And like I said, we've got this beautiful reconciled relationship. And I know that that's not the case for a lot of people. Um, Maybe you'll never be able to have that, but we have been able to work it through together. And I do know that we're created in the image of God, man and woman. And so therefore it is important that we reconcile this part of our relationship that we have to our parents. Because hello, formation happens in our childhood. We all know that. But the truth is there comes this point in our lives where we, we and this may sound harsh, but we can no longer blame mom or dad. We have to take ownership of our own heart. And so I think that's where I got to with her. And I just, I realized too, even with my mom, there's this one moment that happened where I was, there was just another betrayal and this breach of trust. And I called my mom and I was like sobbing like a child. And I just said, I feel like this is your fault. I like literally wow. said that to her and I'm FaceTiming her and I go, you just lay things on me that were just so heavy to carry. And I just take ownership of everyone else's issues and I'm sobbing and I'm expecting her to manipulate the situation or cry, doesn't cry, looks me in the eyes and goes, you're right. I am so sorry. I was boundaryless and I hurt you. And I was like, I started sobbing like, like deliverance happened in that moment. Wow. And you know what I mean? Yes. And so I would say for people that just maybe haven't addressed that or how, their issues with their mother are affecting the way that they look at life um, or look at others or their belief systems to, with Jesus, go into a place where he can heal you in that. You may never be able to have that those reconciliation conversations with your mom, but you can with God. You can go to an intensive. You can walk it through with someone and you can be healed of it and um, and be aware of it. I think it's it's just an important thing that we have to pay attention to. Hey friends, just taking a quick break to tell you about one of our amazing partners, Curology. You guys are seriously the best group of friends to be a part of because of your genuine kindness and generosity. And while we all know how we look is far from the most important thing about us, when y'all compliment my skin, it does add a little wind to my sails on that day. I credit my mom for passing her good skin genes my way and Curology for my complexion. Curology makes medical grade skincare more accessible with their custom approach to care. They pair up their members with a medical provider trained in dermatology, meaning you can find a dermatology provider without ever having to leave your couch. Here's how it works. Curology customizes a prescription formula with three active ingredients picked for you to help tackle your skincare needs. Whether that may be trying to take control of acne or if acne is no longer your top skin concern, fine lines or dark spots, occasional breakouts or clogged pores. You start by answering questions online about your skin, and if it's a good fit, then Curology will match you with a licensed dermatology provider who will get to know your skin, and subject to consultation, you'll get a customized prescription cream to be shipped straight to your door to address your acne or fine lines, dark spots, and more. 
My customized products include prescription strength retinol along with a cleanser and moisturizer that showed up on my doorstep. How convenient. And I've been so impressed with the results. My complexion has been clear and it's really smoothed out some of the fine lines I was looking to say goodbye to. And honestly, I was surprised at how much I enjoy the cleanser and moisturizer. They leave my skin feeling clean without ever getting tight and dry and also hydrated without ever feeling greasy. You could start your Curology journey just like I did with your free 30-day trial at Curology.com slash that sounds fun. If prescribed, just pay $5 for shipping and handling. That's C-U-R-O-L-O-G-Y dot com slash that sounds fun to unlock your free 30-day trial. You can cancel anytime. So go get that glow. And I have one last incredible partner to share with you, ID Tech Camp. Okay, think back. What was your most challenging subject in school? Mine was for sure science. But so many of my students that I used to teach struggled with math until I was able to help them make some real life connection to something they already cared about and enjoyed. It's like fractions and pizza or decimals and money. If you've got a student in your household who's dealing with struggles in any of the STEM classes, you know what I'm talking about. Well, that's the magic of ID Tech's instructors. They make abstract concepts relatable and help students latch on to math and other STEM subjects as like actual interests. <laughs> so right now, ID Tech is offering a great deal. You can get started with a one-on-one tutoring lesson for just $49 or save $159 on weekly small group semesters. Their live instructors make learning fun with engaging courses in coding, design, game development, math, and more. They now offer a variety of math homework help options so you and your kids can stress less and celebrate more when they ace those assignments and tests. Scheduling is fast and flexible with options guaranteed to fit your family's busy schedule. So go to idtech.com slash that sounds fun right now and use the code that sounds fun to save $150 on weekly small group semesters. And for a limited time, you can also get started with a one-on-one tutoring session for just $49. That's code that sounds fun at idtech.com slash that sounds fun to save $150 and your child can start learning online from a live instructor right now. idtech.com slash that sounds fun. And now back to finish our conversation with Andy. How do we pray for friendship? Gosh, I love that. But I think I feel like I'm a little bit of a broken record. I keep coming back to, in a way, two things. I think for me, it's the end of Psalm 139, where it says, search my heart, oh God, test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any way offensive in me and then lead me in the way of everlasting. So I think no matter what, I always come back to the issues and the matters of the heart. And this is going to maybe sound harsh, but I think one of the hardest things that I see as a pastor and as a leader is that it is very easy for everyone to blame everybody else for their issues, but never take responsibility for their heart. And I have this weird, not weird, I have always, since I gave my life to Jesus, uh, gosh, how many years ago now? I don't even remember. It's been a long time. Um, that one day I'll stand before the living God and I'll breathe my last and I will give account for my life, not anybody else's, not how anybody else hurt me, not how anybody else abused me, or but that I will give account for the tenderness of my heart. I mean, even in my devotional this morning, I was reading about the cross and I was like, wow, how hard it must have been for Jesus to say, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Because how I want to say it is, forgive them, Father, for they know exactly they what they're doing. They know exactly do. what they're doing. That's yeah. right. That's right. And so I think the way to pray is like, 
honestly, on a daily basis, render your heart tender before God and allow any bitterness, unforgiveness, any pain, just constantly go there. And then the other thing is, is go, God, will you reveal to me what you want me to do? How can I reach out? Who can I encourage? Who can I text? Do you want me to throw a party at the house, even mm-hmm. though I hate parties and I'm scared? Yes. Um, you know, just invite Annie. If she yeah. comes, everything Let's will say, be fine. Bring you me know? in a cross-stitch pattern. <laughs> and we've got it. But even that, I love that you're into cross-stitching and you're saying like, that's like an introverted crew, but maybe you just need to gather the introverts. I don't know. Yes. 100%. Because you know how to hang together. So I think, I know it sounds oversimplistic, but it is over, over a period of time. I have done things that have made me super nervous. I'm an extroverted introvert and ambivert. I'm both and, you know? And so I just have to balance my energy and figure out where to do that. But I think there's the ownership before God. And then there's the intentionality of doing everything that's in your power to do to create spaces, make connection, cultivate relationship. So it is a gift to become the kind of person that's good in a friendship. Like it's a gift to yourself as much as anybody, right? It's one of the things you, I, I know you say that we say a lot to men and women who aren't married yet, like look for the spouse you're looking for, but become the spouse you want to be now. Like go ahead and I would think, you know, become the kind of woman that you want to be in a marriage. I would say the same is friendship true, right? Like become the kind of woman or man you want to be in friendship and then watch God bring you healthy friendship. It's so true. And I, I think too, like the joy is getting to a place where you're not in friendship just for yourself, but you're in it because you want to believe in and love the other person. There's this quote by a guy named Bob Buford that says, my fruit grows on other people's trees. And I think, uh, I mean, the final chapter in the book is like becoming spiritual midwives. And I'm obsessed with midwives and call the midwives. It's already written down as that is the (laughs) next thing I was going to say to you is please talk about spiritual midwifery because I love it. Well, I think for me that hit me and I hadn't necessarily heard that phrase before, but when, as I, I don't know how you write, but a lot of times what happens is that God will just give me chapters. I'm like, that's wild. Like the whole chapter outline. And then I'll just start to flesh it out and Becoming spiritual midwives was one of them, but I realized like a gift on my life and something that I love to do is really encourage other people, open doors for other people, cheer other people on. But to get there is quite a journey because, and even to stay there, because to cheer somebody else on and really believe in them, that what if they become greater, do greater, do better than you? Right. You got to watch them exceed you. Yeah, exceed you. And I think that true friendship is a place where you can see your friends exceed you, where you encourage them and fruit goes on the trees of their life because of the seeds you've sown into them. And I think that is, it's really important. And I love even the midwives that birthed Moses. Like that whole story of those women who defied the odds and went, no, we're not going to do what you say we should do. We are going to birth life. And I think that I just, I love what it is for us to birth the dreams of others. And it's really important. And it stops us from thinking about ourselves all the time. And so that's kind of the goal truly is if you're not just getting into friendship, just all about yourself, but to go, gosh, who can I believe in? Who can I champion? Who can I release? Who can I cheer on? Okay. So talk about spiritual midwifery or genuine being a midwife. If you are infertile or being a bridesmaid when you are standing at your best friend's wedding and you want to get married too, or their husband got the job that your husband wanted or the house or the, I mean, it, it, it is unlimited. On and on it goes. Yeah. Will you talk about the power of 
stepping into friendship with someone who gets the thing you want. I think that is going to be one of the greatest measures of your security in God and your trust in him. And I know that I have had those moments where jealousy has arisen in friendship. And I was like, wow, you got that. I wanted that. That, oh my gosh, ew. Like I said it out loud. And often what I'll need to do is out loud, confess that to somebody else because I like, I don't like, I hate it, but I like the taking the power out of that ugliness in my heart and saying it out loud. So often that would be my husband. Don't say it to the person, like literally cheer that person on. But to be able to go, hey, I need to confess this sin that's in my heart that I am jealous and I have envy and I want what they have. But honestly, I do want to show up to their party. I do want to show up to their engagement party. I do want to show up to, you know what I mean? The I got the job party, whatever. I don't know. Do people do that? We should have. I of got course, the job baby party. showers, wedding um, showers, uh, all the stuff. Yeah. All of the stuff where you long for it. And I think the greatest thing that we can do is, is keep showing up and, and, but confess the sin to somebody you trust and to God, and then keep showing up. I would love to share this too. And I know that she wouldn't mind, but Tanya, who is the one that's been my friend for 23 plus years, we're the same exact age. She's never been married and she doesn't have any children. And there have been many a times where you know, it'd be easy for me to go, well, I have four kids and I'm married and I'm this, that, and the other thing. And like, we can't be friends because we're not on the same page. We have worked for this. I have held her in my arms as she sobbed and longed for things that I, I can't make her a fake, a false promise either, but I get to hold her. I get to love her. I get to show up for her. I get to believe for her. I get to have faith for her when she doesn't have it anymore. Um, and I think that's what a midwife does too, is a midwife when it feels like you're only birthing death, um, there's still a tenderness for there to be grief, for there to be, to hold space for people. And I think we have to get good at the both and of those things. Yes. When people have done that for me, when they have loved me and cheered for me, well, let's just be very honest, Andy. A lot of people are going to assume that I'm on, that the main thing I'm talking about is when I'm on the side of being the not married person, yeah. <laughs> right? Like that when I'm watching my friend, and that has happened a ton. I've been an adult for 20 years. Yeah. Everybody's married. <laughs> I've been an adult for 20 years. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've been a bridesmaid almost 30 times. I get it. You know, like it, I get it. But also I know that there are times where I'm the one who gets the speaking event that one of my friends wants, or I'm the one who gets the other thing that one of my friends wants, or the someone wishes they drove a Toyota RAV4. Why? I don't know. But do you know what I mean? Like, I can name people that I have so much respect for because of how they loved me when it was hard. And, and I knew it, right? I mean, you've, you had to experience that with Tanya, where you go like, when you got pregnant again. And you don't want to feel guilty you want right. her to celebrate with you, but you also are aware of the nuanced layers to this complication in the friendship that you want to both acknowledge, but still love each other well. And, and that's the thing is like, I'm her person. So like if, if anything happened to her medically, I'm her person, if any, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's those sorts of things where I even realize my role in her life. And again, that's why I don't have a ton of time for like 50 close friends. Like, no, cause no, I can't give this to 50 people and have a job. No. <laughs> yeah. Nobody's paying us to be professional friends. <laughs> yes. Honestly. Right. So I think, I think it's just really important to recognize, speak to, acknowledge the nuance, but still choose one another, choose to love one another, choose to be there for one another. Yeah. I think the other gift of the circles you created is if one of my 
three, my up close three has a wedding shower, baby shower, husband job, did a celebration. There's a no choice clause in my life of you show up. But when you get to the 72, you can say, hey, I've got boundaries here that say that because today is my parents' wedding anniversary and because today I woke up and I don't like any of the clothes I put on, I'm going to call one of my three and tell the truth, but I'm not going to go to that thing today, right? Aren't there times where we can say no? Yes, 100%. Because I think for me, I had to, again, I had to learn that the hard way. We've been pastoring here for 11 years. So when we started the church, yes, we were almost doing everybody's weddings for that first year or two, because it wasn't like there was a ton. But if if those people met in church and we were their pastors, we did their weddings. But then you plant another community that has pastors and people are still going, hey, will you do my wedding? Hey, will you come to my baby shower? Hey, will you? I was like, I'm going to die. And so we had to, we had to start even telling our church, hey, our first ministry is to our family, and we want our kids to love the church and love ministry. And so therefore, you're going to hear us say no to you. And so we had to establish that from a pulpit and from like just a cultural thing that people understood. You are the body of Christ. Take care of one another. It's not just our job. Uh, we're just leading the charge here, but we're in this together. So so there you go. And I think that the same applies in, in understanding your circles, that there are people that, of course, they're going to want you to come to their things. And that's so lovely. But no, you cannot go to all of it. And it is OK to say no and try to RSVP and be one of the first to RSVP <laughs> right. instead of waiting till the day before and being the one because you're afraid uh, that you are rejecting their going to their party that's will hurt good, their feelings. Andy. Do it like when it comes. Yes. Like when look you at know. your calendar and go and just write a little note that says, hey, thank you for asking me to come. I'm just not able to make it that day. And you don't have to tell them why. You're telling the whole truth. I am not able to make it today. You aren't able to Do you make know it why? Because you may want to be in your pajamas for a whole <laughs> That's day. Right. And that That's is right. okay. <laughs> I think that the level of commitment to your friend is the level of entering into your own pain and disappointment that you need to show up for. So if it's one of my three, it, that is the deepest commitment. Therefore, my deepest willingness to step in. They get my yes. And I even for me, this this fall, like I had to bend over backwards in a season that like it was travel season kicked back up because we were no longer in lockdown. So I'm like somewhere every weekend and my two closest people, one of them lost their mother, the other lost their father a week apart. So I was flying all over and thank God for my husband. who's like, I got the house. Like I got the kids. Like, you know, he was home. He wasn't traveling, but I was exhausted, but they needed, they get your I, yes. they're literally my people. And I was like, they get my yes. And my husband's like, I understand it. Even my babies get that. And that's what I want to model to them. It's like, this is, this is friendship. This is what you do. I so clearly my, remember my mother having a friend. I was probably middle school or element, probably late elementary who was dying of cancer. And I remember my mom telling, going over and changing her bandages and, and taking food. And I just remember so clearly what that modeled to me. She didn't take me with her. I wasn't a part of it, but I remember I'd get home from school and she would go and come back or, but I just remember my mom modeled that friendship to me that did not require her to be with me right? Like she had to leave me to go be the kind of friend that I learned to, to be from her. I love that. That's beautiful. That's encouraging to me as a mom. Thanks yes. Yes. That. That's why I thought of it is I was like, yeah, that's exactly what my mom did. My mom went when her friend needed her and that changed me in a good way. So you're doing a good thing for your people. 
Andy, we haven't even, <laughs> this is on me. We haven't even said the book title. We just jumped in. Oh, that's okay. Friendship <laughs> is complicated, which is the theme of what we've just discussed. So <laughs> yes. um, you go so much deeper in the book and just so much of it. So I can't wait for people to get to read it. Um, is there anything we didn't talk about that you want to make sure we cover? Oh, no, honestly, because we could talk all day. So just like get get the book, everyone. Yes, we yeah. can talk all yes. day. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I just think the world of you. Thank you for making time for this. I am so grateful for you. The last question we always ask, as you know, because the show is called That Sounds Fun. Tell me what sounds fun to you. What sounds fun to me? Oh my gosh. I would love right now to jump on a plane and go to Europe with my family and go to the, like, I don't know why. Like, What I think country? What country? Italy always. Okay. Like, Italy always. I, pizza? I don't know why. Is it a pizza, a call of the pizza? It's the pizza. It's the carbs that feel like they're not killing you because they're actually ancient grains. Like, yes, because they made like them an four minutes before we got there. Yes. Literally. Uh, and they've been there since Jesus, yes, yes, you know? I know. And so I think just going there, going to um, the Amalfi Coast or um, Capri and hanging out with my family, that sounds fun. Um, yeah. And also, can I tell you something really funny? My son, we did take my youngest son to Italy. He's the, all four of them. We took him, but my youngest is the only one that was born in America. He was born in Brooklyn, which we have two of the best pizza places right on our street that are like, Wait, where were your other three shows. born if they weren't born in America? Australia. My husband's That's Australian. Right. Your so husband's we, Australian. Yeah. So they were, all of a sudden I was like, Andy, what story are you hiding from us? <laughs> yes. So I'm hiding a part of my life. No, <laughs> but no. Okay. So he, two so, of the best places in Brooklyn. Like honestly, such like a, the greasy slice and then the famous slice that's on Netflix, you know? And it's so delicious. We're in Italy eating some of the best pizza. And every time we get one, he's like, ugh, I still like Giardini's better at the street <laughs> from our house. And we're just like, you are truly a Brooklyn boy. Like yes. you were born and raised here that you are so loyal to, to your Brooklyn pizza. I'm That's like, right. all right. But Andy, he's the one that tells people, he goes, hey, I'm Sam. I'm a seven wing eight. And I'm like, my guy. <laughs> Me too. Me and Sam are about to take over the world and everybody's going to love us for it. That's yes. the difference between with a seven wing eight and an eight wing seven. Yes, so, it's true. I love it. Sam, my guy. Andy, you're the best. Thanks for being a good friend and modeling good friendship and then teaching us about it in a book. I'm, I'm really, really grateful. Thank you for this time with you. I love you. Oh, you guys, don't you just love her? She's the best and so helpful. I just, I mean, as we talked about in the show, friendship is so complicated and we don't have a lot of people who are leading the way and telling us how to do this better. So I'm just thankful that Andy has stepped into that role. And I'm telling y'all, be sure you grab a copy of Friendship. It's complicated. You can get it anywhere you love to buy books. And please go follow Andy. Tell her thanks for being on the show and how much today's episode meant to you. If you need anything else from me, you know I'm embarrassingly easy to find. Annie F. Downs on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the places you may need me. That's how you can find me. And I think that's it for me today, friends. Go out or stay home and do something that sounds fun to you. I'll do the same. Today, what sounds fun to me is we're going to dinner for another friend named Annie's birthday tonight. And I'm excited to celebrate her. So that should be really fun. Have a great couple of days, friends. We'll see you back here on Friday with our very special episode, a Q&A about fasting, the spiritual discipline of fasting. So get ready. It is a good one. We'll see you on Friday.